Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is today. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, as well as sports, music culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast, with episodes in English out on Tuesday and episodes in Spanish released every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where we talk about our favorite things in pop culture, history, and sports, but exclusively focus on the worst aspects of those things. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, it's it's starting to get cool here. I have been really sticking to quarantine since the beginning, um, so I am going apple picking on the weekend uh, because it just got extremely white over here. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that, sounds, that sounds really nice. That sounds like super fun. Are you going to wear a sweater? <laughs> it's going to be adorable. Look, I just need to be outside with nobody around me. And this feels like the best way I can do that without having to go camping. Do you actually have plans to like eat all the apples? I'm not eating any apples. Get? Like, are you going? No, the apples are terrible. Are you a fan of apples? I, I mean, they're fine. Oh, I have no interest in this. Look, I just want to be outside away from people. And this is the best way to do it. <laughs> it's, I have no other option. And, and you also just want to, you also just want to take the belongings of a tree away. <laughs> it's, you know what? I would love to spend $35 on $4 worth of apples right now. This is my goal for the <laughs> Maybe think about pie that you're not going to eat. I mean, th- we know I'm not going to make it. Every No, you plan for the pie. You're not going to do the pie. It's so much work. You're exhausted from picking all those apples. No one's ever baked. People have gotten the pie from the gift shop <laughs> at the apple picking place. No one has actually baked the pie from the apples they picked. That's just, I did that that's just once. how this it, works. It was delicious. It was so much better than a pie would have made. Why would I put in this effort? <laughs> all right, so... Apple picking, that sounds amazing. Uh, I'm insanely jealous because, so I had my birthday uh, last week. Right, supposed to go camping, but. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to like go camp, like on a camping trip and like actually like go out and do things uh, in the woods. Uh, it was gonna be a great time. My wife planned this whole trip. And then the night of my birthday, I'm just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling too hot. This is, I'm just gonna go get some sleep. I think I'll feel better in the morning. And then, like, the next day I woke up and it was even worse. But, like, I was in denial in my head. I was like, 
I'm going to make it to the weekend. It's going to be fine. This trip is going to be amazing. <laughs> Cut to Friday night. I'm laying immovable other than the fact that I can't stop shaking on the ground. And my wife is just looking at me like, we're not going on the trip. <laughs> No, I, I can do it. This is camping. You're supposed to rough it. Like, I was like, no, I just, I need to take like a cold bath or something. And she took my temperature. It was 102.8. Jesus. Like, that's like hospital temperature. <laughs> and I was just like, I can muscle through. It's just a cabin with me and you. And it's going to be so romantic. She's like, what's romantic about me trying to like keep you alive in the woods further from hospitals? This is like the peak of romance during cholera. This was yeah, yeah, this is so like I got the test and everything, and they're just like, it's not, it's negative. You don't have COVID. Like you're just like go home and drink some water. You'll be fine. And then like it just kept going. Like it went into all throughout the weekend. And then on Monday, my doctor just sends me a message. Was like. You know, this is starting to sound a lot like COVID oh, that we're talking. It's just like, whatever, whatever, ma'am. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad you're feeling a bit better. I know you're not well, but thanks for uh, rallying to get this recording done. Oh, I, I, I have rallied. I'm, I'm going on sh like show wellness. It's like that right. thing that theater kids get uh, when they have like a sore throat the day of the show. And they're just like, I'm, I'm going to power through. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm going through. Old theater kid habits. <laughs> finally paying off that theater degree this is what you were made for yes exactly so uh that's me that was my that was my time in uh isolation and and trying to stay alive but here we are we're ready to talk about uh things we love things uh that ruin them and we have a fantastic guest today uh gina divittorio how are you doing today hello i'm i'm doing really good today um especially hearing <laughs> Hearing your, like, recent trial and tribulations, I feel particularly, it's like, you know how, like, whenever your nose is plugged, you're like, God, remember when, like, my nose wasn't plugged? <laughs> the good old days, yeah. Sick, like, you're just like, you really do look at, like, baseline you as, like, a superhero. Yeah, so now, like, hearing what you said, I'm trying to, like, appreciate, like, where I'm at. Like, wow, I'm, like, yeah. really, like, healthy right now. I need to, like, remember this and be yeah, grateful like, for it. Seriously, the second my... my fever was like below the hundreds i was just like oh this is incredible this feels <laughs> every day is a gift guys <laughs> so good to not be dying absolutely but uh yes yeah, so gina you are the host of a tinder show can you tell hinge. us a little bit hinge, hinge yeah <laughs> we're gonna hinge we're gonna cut that the better one <laughs> the one that you actually have to like know human beings to be able to match <laughs> i'm still i'm not great yet. i'm not a hundred percent i'm doing my best yeah I was just like, yeah, Andrew, I'll, I'll take the lead on this one. <laughs> you you sure when you want to rest until you're not dying anymore? It's like, no. Yeah, yeah, I really should have taken you up on that. <laughs> anyways, Gina, uh, so you make uh, videos for Hinge. Yes, I do. Um, I had a really fun series with Hinge called Cheap Date, where we went on, um, we tested out dates you could do for um, under $20 between the two of you. Um, we are not doing that right now because it would be a public health risk. But uh, yeah, it was a really fun show. Um, we were nominated for a Webby for Best Use of Story, um, and we did lose that Webby to Adidas. Um, <laughs> so that's... Adidas! <laughs> yeah, damn, this It's always shoes. Adidas. The series was fantastic. I have watched all of them. I voted for it on the Webbies, uh, which does not sound Thank like a big you. thing, but you have to click like four buttons, and that feels like a lot when it's not something you're doing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it was worth it. <laughs> it was a fantastic series. 
yeah, it was it was a really fun um it was a really fun show and like now you can't use any of the like advice or ideas from that show, but it was cool while it lasted. <laughs> okay, but hey, look, there's gonna come a time where we're going to be able to. So hit hit us with some some high what are some highlights? What were some favorite twenty dollar dates? Oh, so the best ones I would say were like as low as we could get it. Um, like we went to the botanical gardens for free. Um, you just have to be there on like a Wednesday or a Thursday, uh, before like 10 AM. So we were just like at the botanical gardens nice and early. We went to a free stargazing event. We got to see for free, uh, the moon, Jupiter and <laughs> Venus and, um, absolutely no stars. Cause it was, uh, right. You're in New, New York, York city. city, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, yeah. I remember seeing it come on. I thought, is this gonna, is this gonna work? It's a big telescope, but this doesn't seem like a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I just love the idea that it's just like, Hey, we got to see the moon for free. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> in New York City, I when I first approached it, I the the guy that I was with, Neil, um, who was like such a good sport about it, I'm like, all right, we're gonna somehow uh see stars in the middle of Manhattan. And then they broke out like the largest telescopes that you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and all That's like amazing. all Jupiter was was this like little dot, but it was so exciting. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> That's Jupiter. This is New York City. <laughs> I, I'd be the idiot out there that's just like shooting star, and they're like, "That's another plane." <laughs> You're just pointing at planes. <laughs> well, it was a fantastic series, and yeah, I'm waiting for it to. You know, I feel like by the time this all ends, we'll have forgotten how to do this. This will be our record of like the before times. Yeah, we can all reference this when we need to learn how to date again. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, you know that people are just going to be bad at bad oh, at yeah. it and looking for ideas. <laughs> And we're all going to be in that together, so... <laughs> oh, yeah. This is, like... Because th- we're on, like, a Zoom call right now recording this, and this is, like, the most interaction, like, I, I have with other comedians is this show on Zoom. Like, there's no going outside and doing things anymore. Right. Oh, no. I mean, I, they're, they're starting to develop, but I still don't feel good doing it. It was like, I got to be around people who are comedians. They're not going to be responsible. We're idiots. I don't trust oh, no, them not to get worst. me sick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that is uh, Gina's fantastic cheat date on Hinge. Please go look up those videos. They're, they're great. And I'm so glad that she agreed to join us today to talk about first, starting with, as always, the good thing, rum. Uh, that felt like mm-hmm. a solid topic for a good thing. Uh, Gina, you want to give us some background on rum? All right. So rum um, is the famous drink that Captain Jack Sparrow typically drinks. And the reason that's notable is because um, no one on this earth can tell me the plot of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Damn it, do you understand that Captain Jack Sparrow drank rum? That, and this is actually the most accurate part of the movie because it was the thing for pirates. Uh, so I, I've got some interesting background here uh, on the development of, of rum. Uh, basically, it started because, well, I mean, it started a long time ago, uh, 350 BCE in India. At that point, though, it was medicinal uh, because that was basically like, hey, you know what? When you're sick, being drunk helps. So let's go for it. <laughs> but it wasn't until the 1400s when European explorers started reaching the West Indies and uh, finding the then remote islands, the Canary, the Azores, eventually the Caribbean. Uh, they found out it was ideal for sugarcane. The problem was that sugarcane was really hard to refine properly with the tools they had at the time. So they ended up with a ton of molasses that they didn't really have a good use for. I mean, you could eat it. It was sweet, but you know, the sugar was better, but they could ferment it. So 
this was it. You had all this molasses, you had all these islands, and it became the trade product from Europe to the Caribbean to the Americas. Uh, it unfortunately was became a staple of the slave trade, which uh, would absolutely be the worst part of all of this, but that is far too long an episode. So we're going to stick with rum being the positive, even though that is worse than all of this combined. <laughs> so they start developing this up in the Caribbean. Around the same time, early 1600s, New England starts to be settled. And if you're familiar with New England at all, the one thing you know is they like alcohol. And they have settled here expecting what they've heard about America for this to be this fruitful place with grains and grapes and the ability to make alcohol. And New England does not have any of that. And then they hear about rum and they're like, cool, we can't grow that. You know, we, we can't grow the sugarcane, but we can turn it into something. So New England becomes this epicenter for the production of rum. It's the center of this trade. Uh, in the late 1600s. They're like, we can't grow things, but we can let things sit for a long time <laughs> until they're poisoned. It's, yeah, I mean, honestly, the whole process felt very New England. It was like, oh, this is on brand. We we get where you're coming from. <laughs> so at, at this point in the mid 1700s, rum accounted for 80% of New England's exports, which is part of why they freaked out when England tried to impose a tax on molasses from French colonized islands. This became the Sugar Act in 1764, and it was the precursor to uh, the Tea Act, which was when New England just lost it and dumped it. It was like, <laughs> okay, it, it's, it, it's honestly, people talk about the tea, but the molasses was what pissed them off to begin with, and the tea was the final straw. So uh, this is it. This I is just want to say, I'm just going to interrupt. I, how American is it, though? Like, it's just like, no, the tea didn't piss us off. It was taking away our booze. Well, that's it, because they didn't the They tea. didn't dump the booze in the sea. They weren't going to lose that. They dumped yeah, the they tea. Yeah, they weren't going to lose the booze. They're like, <laughs> we're mad, but we're not that mad. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw the leaves overboard. Yeah, sure, let's do that shit. <laughs> Just a bunch of Boston guys, too. I know they didn't have Boston accents then, but I would like to think that they had very thick Boston yeah. accents while they were doing it. I mean, I assume so. Uh, so we're in the 1700s. This, uh, in fact, it's such a staple that British sailors received rations of rum from the 18th century until 1970. So the pirates, sailors with rum, it was hard to ship alcohol over long distances. Uh, they couldn't do wine or beer that easily. They had brandy, but it wasn't that strong. Rum was perfect. So sailors were like, yeah, this is in our contract now. So we're going to back up from 1970, though, because we're at 1914. And the demand for molasses is incredibly high. Uh, because molasses, along with being fermented for rum, it could be fermented further to make industrial alcohol, which was used in munitions. And it's World War One, So... This is a big thing right now. Uh, <laughs> this is absolutely huge. And yeah, so we're in, in 1914. War ends in 1918 in November. And our trouble, where it went wrong, happened uh, in January 1919. Gina, what happened January 19? Where did it go wrong? All right. So this is where it went wrong. And uh, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> First, I do just want to, this isn't where it went wrong, but um, I appreciate kind of like, how far rum has fallen um, from oh, like yeah. being the drink of the high seas to now like predominantly being like Malibu. <laughs> like, like... It used to just be like, you're a sailor, you're drinking rum. Yeah. And now it's just like, hey. Yeah. It's like a predominant part of like tiki bars. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I drink rum and I am definitely not like a sailor. I am, I'm just like a guy on vacation looking to have a good time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the downfall or the what went wrong with 
rum was on January 15th, 1919 at approximately high noon. So pretty much, um, like you said, it was a main export. There was a gigantic tank of molasses that was used to uh, eventually do a lot of chemical processes and make um, both drinking alcohol and industrial alcohol. At this point, um, we are at the end of the war, and so they have transitioned into making uh, drinking alcohol. So uh, picture yourself, you are in uh, the north end of Boston and a big eyesore in your town is a 50 foot tall and 90 foot in diameter, 2.3 million, million gallon tank of hot molasses. And where it went wrong was it exploded. Um, <laughs> and where it went- Like the worst thing that could possibly go wrong here is what went wrong. Yeah, and not only did it explode, but it killed 21 people. It injured 150 people. It knocked a train off of its tracks. It like completely demolished like all of um, all of the seaside like trade infrastructure that was going on at the time. And um, according to like urban legend, you can still smell molasses in the north end of Boston on a hot day. And I'm not sure I believe this. One. Yeah, I, I, I believe it for the first. They talked about this for a while. I decided I believed it for the first 10 to 15 years. I don't know why I came up with that number. There's no science behind this. <laughs> I think after 15 years, people just wanted that to be part of the history. Can you imagine living in a town where you have something called the Great Molasses Flood of 1919? <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's exactly the Great Molasses Flood, Boston Molasses Disaster, Great Boston, okay, they just combined all of these words, Great Boston Molasses Flood. It yeah. had multiple names. This was so big. And uh, what Gina mentioned about the, this story, this is 1919, it's not just the end of the war, but at this point, prohibition has been announced, but not started yet. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, they're shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And uh, what Gina mentioned about the, this story, this is 1919, it's not just the end of the war, but at this point, prohibition has been announced, but not started yet. Yes. So this company still has their molasses. This is the um, industrial, or United States Industrial Alcohol Company, USIA. Specifically teaming up with the Purity Distilling Company. 
yes, when yeah. is on top of it. That's that's right. They were a subsidiary of the USIA uh, as of 1917. So they have to get this molasses into something and sold before it becomes illegal to turn into alcohol. People yes. are no longer buying it for uh, weapons. Alcohol is your only choice. And in a year and a half, you're not going to have that anymore. So they are loading this up. Yes. Yeah, so they are not only um, outracing prohibition, but Massachusetts had its own prohibition law that came into effect before it was ratified on a national level. So they are getting in as much as they can, knowing that other states are going to be able to produce alcohol for longer than them. So two things about this tank. It was made extremely quickly in 1915 for the purpose of war. It was, um, it's actually, it's a private company. It wasn't a public company, but that was its main export was the um, alcohol that went to these explosive, the munitions. And I'm, I'm glad you um, kind of like detailed how that all happens. Cause I was when I was explaining it to my roommates, I was like, yeah, like, listen, molasses turns into exploding alcohol and drinking alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially what it does. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty straightforward. It's a very versatile beverage. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So we have on our hands, um, essentially like good old fashioned American greed. Something was made very quickly and cheaply um, to fit a purpose where they knew they were going to make a lot of money off of it. The times changed, the war ended, they started making alcohol, alcohol laws changed, so they're just pushing through all of this molasses to make it into alcohol. And apparently, within this tank's history, it had only been completely full eight times. In the week and a half prior, it was at full capacity almost 24-7, and it was running three shifts a day. I do not know what three shifts means, but apparently it's a lot. <laughs> so this thing was pretty much being pushed to its limit, and it already wasn't supposed to handle what it could because it wasn't built very well. So yeah, the person who was in charge of building it was like the company treasurer, and they were like, you figure it out. And they handed him blueprints, which he could not... <laughs> this guy was like, I got it. Arthur P. Gell is his name, which could not be more of a like super villain name. Yeah, yeah. Like if this was a comic book, he's going to absorb molasses powers at this point. But yeah, when when nailed it, they're like, here, here, go for it. And he's like, you're the guy that's going to save us the most money. We don't really care that you don't know what any of this means. Just get it done. So he gets it done two days before their first shipment comes in, at which point they're supposed to fill it with water. Again, this is a 50 foot tall tower that they're going to fill with water to make sure it can handle the strain of molasses, which is, of course, thicker and going to have more pressure. Gel fills it six inches with water and says, uh, yeah, it'll do it. It's good to go. That was it. That was the extent of their testing. And it would, it would groan and leak for years beforehand. Kids would run up to this tower to collect molasses out of the rivets where it was leaking. And instead of fixing it, they painted it brown so you couldn't tell it was leaking. <laughs> Which, like, what an incredible strategy. Could you imagine <laughs> going to, like, a doctor because you've been shot and him just handing you a red shirt? <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what they did. It was this ridiculous strategy where, they're like, no, it's, it's, it's just going to be fine. Well, so there's, like, a lot of reasons that it blew up. And recently, um, in 2014 and 2016, Harvard and this one like engineering firm like went back and like took it all apart and like saw what went wrong and they're like oh like the viscosity was off and um the weather had like risen in temperature that day which was like unexpected and there's like rivets that were but each of them have a disclaimer 
that's like, yeah, and there was some like other warning signs, like it was um, leaking and groaning, and like it was slightly tilted at one point. <laughs> I was just like, right, <laughs> like this thing was going to blow up, and it was it was almost like the that episode you did where you brought up the Titanic a little while ago, where like the yeah. Titanic went off with like out enough life jackets there's like a fire burning currently right it was almost like that where we were just like setting up this disaster and like the regard for human like life and safety was just like so low because like prohibition <laughs> was beginning right like no it was going to happen if it didn't happen today it was going to happen at, at some point and what you mentioned was was yeah there was a lot of discussion about this was again middle of january uh, the temperature rose to 40 degrees fahrenheit that day so there's discussion of oh both thermal expansion uh, and the fact that at that temperature it was able to start fermenting a little bit, which normally there's a vent, one vent, not enough, to let those gases be released. Um, but it's, it's January, so they closed it, and it was such a nice day that the guy who was supposed to be watching it went shopping with his wife. <laughs> so everyone is just hanging out outside around this tank because it's a beautiful day, and the tank is just ready to explode. It not only does it not have enough rivets, the steel that they used was thinner than the agreed upon amount. They've said from the study Gina mentioned that it was uh, shouldn't have exceeded 16,000 PSI pounds per square inch, 18,000 at the most. The day of the flood, it was at 31,000 PSI. This was going to blow up no yeah. matter what. And it was also like, it wasn't how you see like a lot of industrial areas. This tank was in the middle of a town. Right. Like, it was just right, <laughs> like right smack. Like, people would talk about how it was, like, an eyesore and, like, on a hot day you could, like, sit in its shadow. Right. So this this tank explodes because all, <laughs> all chances ever said it was going to explode. And um, what ended up happening was hot molasses poured out. The, the best, like, visual I could find was um, 3.5 Olympic swimming pools worth of molasses, like, suddenly just pushed into... This town, people said there was like a 15-foot wave of molasses. So, Jesus. Yeah. I, I have some records even saying up to 25 feet. Jeez. It was massive, spreading for a radius of up to 250 feet. Not this... only that, but when it exploded, it's not just the molasses. There's also metal shrapnel. Right. And rivets <laughs> coming at people like bullets. At Gina, what was the speed on that? Was that... So the estimates say that it was coming out at anywhere between um, 25 to 30 miles an hour. Um, and Enough to kill you is, is the yeah, basic message and also here. It's, <laughs> it was such a big tank. We're also talking about like just sheer gravity here because it's also like falling. Um, yes. And so like for, for a little bit of reference, it was coming out at 25 to 30 miles an hour. Usain Bolt's top recorded speed is 27.8 miles an hour. So... This was like... Imagine a billion Usain Bolts running at you faster than Usain yeah, Bolts. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. the visual we've recited on this. Like, you're not outrunning this molasses. Like, <laughs> right. slow as molasses is a term, but no, it is the fastest molasses in the world. Which, and Gina, you had some great research on that too, on the term and how wrong yes. and how like horror, the horrific irony of this. Normally you don't get horrific irony this clear, but please. Yeah, so I kind of like, I divide this into like a couple of segments, like what initially went wrong, what went wrong as far as like people just being negligent. And then just this like terrible irony of um, the phrase, uh, slower than molasses in January. So that idiom was 
So if you've ever like watched any old movies, like half of what they say is like idioms. Um, yeah. it's just, oh, yeah. Anything with like a transatlantic accent is like, oh, right. <laughs> up a tree. Oh yeah, I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> so so slower than molasses on January was already um, already a common idiom, and it became particularly popular in the 1870s to describe politicians doing things slowly. Um, so like the Chicago Tribune, the uh, Kansas Daily Journal. All of these places regularly published um, slower than molasses in January, specifically January. So what sucks is um, fast forward to 1919, you've got all of these survivors from a molasses flood that was in January that was going faster <laughs> than the fastest man alive. So you're just like haunted by this phrase and then it gets worse. So it was a popular idiom, but then in 1941, so still in the lifespan of these survivors, the film Gone with the Wind comes out. The book had come out previously, but the film was significantly more popular. And it's like to illustrate this film's influence, there's like, we don't have a great comparison, but it was just like such a cultural phenomena that usage, if you like do a Google search for like usage, usage almost triples in 1941 of slower than molasses wow. in January, which she says in like, it's like a pivotal line. <laughs> right, like a big and so we just have this poor group of people who had this like terrible accident happen in their town that they had nothing to do with. That was so bizarre. And this idiom that like, <laughs> like throws it in their face and almost makes it seem like they should have been able to like get away. Right. Uh, it's not incredible. like these guys shook it off either. There's a story about, because eventually there's a lawsuit, which we'll get into in a bit, but one of the deaths they tried to claim on a lawsuit or injuries was a guy that was hosp uh, was institutionalized from trauma because of this. Yeah. This wasn't like, you walk it off. These guys were really damaged by this. And then, yeah, 1941, it's like, hey, how about you just relive all of that? Yeah, well, can you imagine if your whole town was flooded by molasses, of course he was tr he was institutionalized. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, it that's is. Like, that's like a bad dream. That's like nightmare logic. Well, and what's even worse that kind of goes along with the idiom is the reason that this poured out so quickly was because it was hot inside this tank, but it was about 40 degrees in January. So once it covered everyone, it cooled down. And so then it became like the viscosity that we expect from molasses. So this flood hits you and then it gets like and thicker and harder to get out. <laughs> yeah. So like they found the 21st victim like months later and they were like covered in molasses similar to like amber, like just pretty probably like suffocated. And there's a lot of like horror story accounts of this accident. And yeah, what I also found interesting was there's not a whole lot of memorials to it. Just like one small plaque. There's, one There's small, very little going on. Yeah, green sign like in the area that it happened. And like, I don't, if you guys have ever been to Boston, it's like every 15 feet is like a giant memorial to something <laughs> that like happened in the past. Well, yeah, but can you imagine if the molasses flood was like your Pompeii? Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everyone it, frozen in time in that moment because they got swept up by molasses like they're the mosquitoes in Jurassic Park. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect, though. That's exactly what it was. It really was Pompeii for a lot of people. They, they were frozen there. And it was like, this isn't something you have drills for. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like somebody knew like, oh, the molasses flood. We know how to handle this. 
like the, the firsthand accounts are are terrifying. Uh, Martin Cloherty, the guy whose whose brother was institutionalized, his his mother died. He was on the third floor of his apartment in bed, and when he woke up, he thought he was on a boat and had gone overboard. He helped his sister onto a raft of debris. I mean, this was Pompeii and a flood and a little bit of Jurassic Park combined. Yeah. <laughs> this this was insane. This was not something that anyone prepared for. They had stories of the uh, brakeman on the uh, elevated railroad at the time who the, the track was taken down, basically the section of track. He managed to get over it and then he had to run out onto the track and try and stop the next train from coming because, you know, you don't see like, oh, there's some waves there. I guess this is probably molasses. I should stop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, nobody yeah. knew what to do. Yeah, there's no, I mean, it's not a fire. It's not, it's not something coming from the ocean. There's just like, there's no way to prepare for it and no one was expecting it. And what kind of like sucks even more. So thankfully there was actually, um, there was a, I think a naval ship right on there, right on the coast. Yeah, they all, a training ship. Yeah. yeah, so they all ran and helped. But when word was initially getting around, people, like, there's instances of people just, like, not really taking it seriously. Like, are you joking? Like, molasses? Right. Well, yeah, it's essentially, a, like, a mad lib. Yeah, figure. exactly. <laughs> it's, no, this is like a Wiley e. Coyote plot. I'm just going to assume it's going to work itself out. This doesn't seem, I don't even know how to picture this level of disaster. It's, you know, it's not something anybody is ready for. So people are diving in, trying to help here and trying to pull people out of molasses. But there's also not a sense of what to do or what constitutes damage because you can't see through this. In fact, they think the youngest victim is Albert Gianchi. He's a five-year-old. He was swept away. They thought he was going to be seriously injured. And then they washed the molasses off him and he was just fine. He went home for dinner. Yeah. But you don't know. When everyone is covered completely in molasses, you don't have a gauge for who... There's, there's no way to do triage properly to determine who needs immediate help because everyone looks the same. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine what this even looks like. And it's like, I can't, I can't wrap right. my head around <laughs> a 25 foot wave of molasses. And I also read that like after it swept through, horses were looking like flies stuck to like fly paper. Yes. Oh God. The horses well, were the saddest part for me. What the horrifying thought. <laughs> It was, there was a stable right next to it. So yeah, the, a lot of horses were lost and, and humans too. But I felt very like, the more I read stories like this, the more I get John Wick, where I'm just like, oh, okay, people died. That's sad. And then the animal died. And I'm like, you yeah, son damn. of a bitch, we yeah. gotta do something about this. Damn you, molasses. <laughs> damn you to hell. Well, and like the, the horses dying, like, I don't know if you've ever been by like an injured horse, but horses screaming is horrible like yeah. it is just like there's a reason that, that's a very good point yeah they they put them down like sometimes like right away when that stuff happens but so okay I, as somebody who has never been around a dying horse apparently as much as you too I, like, I, I haven't just... either but what gina said made okay. sense and i just rolled with it <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, you you approach that with confidence like you're <laughs> like a ranch hand gone. that like put a few out like i you... look i've had a lot of horses die on me when <laughs> like, <laughs> i've Andrew, got experience I was, here i was shocked i was just like country boy andrew over here <laughs> Yeah, so so pretty much when when horses are injured, they let out a scream that you never hear them ever let out at any other point, and it's just like it's really terrible. And there's that joke of like, uh, you know, like oh, the horse broke broke its foot, like it has to be put down. And it's typically it's not so much that as like that that they're just like in so much pain, um, that they're they're like mercilessly. Um, took out because their because <laughs> their bodies just aren't built to withstand really anything <laughs> any, any injuries. Gwen's eyes are so wide right now. <laughs> the uh, horror. Yeah, my eyes are wide. This is the most horrifying thing I've ever. <laughs> it heard. is. Uh, it, it's just reminding me of like Silence of the Lambs, where they're just talking like, talking about like the screaming of the lambs and whatnot. 
It's like it's it's permeating it my yeah. brain at that Hannibal Lecter kind of kind of area. It is no, I've I've heard abstract stories on it. None is as well articulated as Gina's. That was especially horrifying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, none, none chilled my soul to that degree. That's <laughs> what Gina just said. But yeah, so this is is as what has happened. This this city or the section of the city is overrun to the point that. Nobody really knows how to handle it. The cleanup takes months. They use uh, seawater. They use salt to absorb it. One of the issues here, too, is, is it's not just the area that the flood happened. It's that everyone's covered in molasses. It is now tracked throughout the city. It's brought into people's homes and to, onto trains, uh, records of it being on, on public telephones. because That was a thing back then. <laughs> uh, it was just the city, all of Boston, was sticky for, for months. That was just what you dealt with. And to this day... and they kept that tradition going that was that's that's not just a part of our history if you met matt damon right now and shook his head there's a thin layer of molasses at least that would be like something in boston to memorialize the right it's like oh i met matt damon it was a little bit off (laughs) like if you guys look you can look up the like the one memorial it's this like dinky green sign it's like plastic yeah i looked it up it's just like it's like they didn't even like put it on a bench it's just like on like some like sidewall or something like it's like on a rock in a park yeah, yeah. it felt very much like one of those things where it's like a, the family of someone who died said hey we should have something here and they're like all right i guess we'll i guess we got a sign guy yeah. and that that was the the extent of it <laughs> so but it, in fact the whole city is outraged they they want accountability for this this is not a time when there is a big thing about companies being held responsible for their actions yes. but they they need something done here and the company says it was anarchists anarchists yes. blew <laughs> up our tank no, and this italian is where... <laughs> there we go italian anarchists so this is what i love about like this particular trial is it is just like the wild west of corporate cover-ups <laughs> they yes. like because so there's not a precedent set it's like you know what we're just going to try everything who well, knows it's so, <laughs> it's so funny because it's almost like with what we know of america it's like hmm, this could have worked so so right. basically they didn't want to um accept fault so they said first that anarchists had um had like set a bomb somewhere or like had somehow caused this to happen and then the like the the plaintiffs like very simply were like okay like can you present evidence or like can you name the group and what's crazy or even any trace of explosive just one example of an explosive and so they're like no we can't do the anarchist thing but it was the italians (laughs) yeah i just love that they were just like no they're italian it's them like like yeah and what's so funny is because Old-timey racism is, like, like racism blows my mind. Old-timey racism where they're, like, the Irish or, like, the Italians. I'm just, like, this is, like, mwah, And that was it, too. Those were the two choices. There's, like, like some extreme purity to that kind of racism where Italians (laughs) are your, like, whipping, like, your whipping post. What's even funnier than, like, we're still in that phase of history that's, like, you know, pretty brief where, like, the Irish and Italians were, like, discriminated against and, like, shunned. And... Boston. Gina has a fantastic video on this, by the way. If you go oh, over yeah. the stuff, they... <laughs> I feel like I've got like a certain jurisdiction yes. <laughs> over this being named like Gina DiVittorio. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I defer. I defer all Italian racism to her. <laughs> yeah, to me. <laughs> so the one with the eyebrows. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Italians and Irish are the two groups that you can pin stuff on. Boston at the time 
is majority Irish, shortly followed by Italian. So they literally just looked at this. It was like, statistically, <laughs> we've got a better chance at pinning it at the Italians. Because <laughs> they're like slightly less a percentage of the town. I'm Irish, so like I've ex like my people have the whole like, uh, oh, Chicago burned down? You know, was the Irish. Because they put <laughs> all the Italians. And then like Boston, well, they're like, one. who do we have less of? Italians? The Italians did. Yeah. <laughs> And so at the time, there is like mob activity. But what's crazy is when they're like, hey, like, can you explain why the Italians did it? They don't go the mob route and they revert and they're like, well, the Italians did it because they're anarchists. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this, this like court like document. Like a Coen Brothers movie. I know. And the thing about this was, was that there had been a bit of anarchist activity. They, in fact, targeted this company before. But they had targeted them during the war when they were producing munitions. They, the war is over. They, they, they don't need this anymore. So this was like, what, what is your angle here? What do you think anarchists do? They're what is their purely goal? rum guys yeah. now. Yeah. They're purely a rum factory. <laughs> and if I know anything about anarchists, they're pro a good time. <laughs> well, that was actually, so that came up. with, And also this care case took almost four years. So there was like so much back and forth. But one thing that came up was when they were, we were, so we're back at the Italian anarchists and they're like, okay, so <laughs> why? And <laughs> they're like, well, they're probably mad that we're like making alcohol in the face of prohibition. So these are anarchists <laughs> that are like <laughs> straight edge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these are anarchists that are just like, look, they're going to break the law in the future, which is like, yeah. <laughs> like they're minority report anarchists. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, prohibition is going to happen. The alcohol is going to be taken care of itself. And also, <laughs> yeah, what you need to do. aren't sticklers for law enforcement. <laughs> yeah. It was very so, much it was like someone Googled anarchist and just looked at the first result. It was like, oh, they blew stuff up. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. They also just like, no, it isn't because like the, the Italian Sicilian mob is like a growing thing in America. It's just because all Italians are anarchists. <laughs> right. That's it. All Italians. It wasn't even like, no, there's just rising. By the way, they could have made stuff up. They they had They're money like, here. It was Italians. <laughs> just all of all of the Italians. Yeah, all of the Italians. <laughs> so it also this Italian anarchist thing backfired even more because while Boston at the time was majority Irish, the north end of Boston, where this happened, was like 70% Italian, and most of the victims were Italian. God. So <laughs> we have done better research for this podcast than they did for like a hundred thousand dollar case. This they just did no yeah. plan to try and win this. A hundred thousand dollars in nineteen nineteen. Right. By stress. the way, it was yeah, the ultimate oh we'll we'll get to the what they paid out later. We do have numbers on that, but uh, <laughs> it was a hundred thousand is low. <laughs> yeah, so they they go through this and so that's all what like the defense is like jumping over. Meanwhile, the plaintiffs, the people saying this have so much evidence they they are bringing up so the first guy who's like overseeing everything who's a treasure like he worked in finance didn't have any credentials they had a worker at the plant go on the stand and be like yeah i found a shard of steel that had fallen off and i brought it to this guy and he said <laughs> what do you want me to do about it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is gel again the the guy who yes jelly <laughs> 
when they even asked him about the test where they, he, they said, well, you filled it to six inches. And he said it was, it was deemed uh, financially unnecessary or not worth it. And they said, cool, who deemed it that way? And he said, well, I did. And it was, that, <laughs> that was it. He never, he never consulted with anybody. He never learned how to read a blueprint. He, in fact, talked with the guys that made the steel about how much steel he should buy. That, that was it. That was his consult. And here's the thing. Here's the crazy part. The guys that he asked, like, how much steel should I buy, undersold him on how much steel he <laughs> yeah. should buy. He didn't use enough. Like, God. what bad steel sellers? <laughs> yeah. The one asked that question didn't upsell the amount of steel. They went on the low end and led to a tragedy. Well, and in fact, the, the blueprint showed a thicker steel. So what I have assumed happened here was that they charged him for the more expensive steel and then used the cheaper steel. <laughs> this is what I have figured has, has happened because it was like these guys, they, n everybody can't be this stupid, right? <laughs> fair, fair. Probably one of those so, Italian contractors. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially this backfired. The plaintiff had like a, I mean, I don't want to say like a wave of evidence because that's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid pun, Gina. Lean into yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> they have this entire like robust thing of evidence and the reason it took so long was a things just took longer back then but b because they kept just like throwing all like the defense kept throwing all these like random excuses like at one point they brought up the fact that um like it they kind of did like the these things happen and then yeah. the plaintiffs found other um, molasses distilleries and were like, these <laughs> things don't happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the defense here is getting so desperate at a point before they even have to pay out. There were kids that, that were killed by this, that were collecting wood uh, in, the, in the shipyard where this was. And they claim they shouldn't have to pay out to the family of the kids because the kids were trespassing. This is the mindset of like, there's no gonna, they're not trying to buy any goodwill here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know what? Oh, we're just gonna no. be like cartoon level super villain companies here where it's like, just let's lean into it. We shouldn't have to pay for the kids we killed. I mean, that's what companies do though. You know when that woman like spilled the McDonald's coffee in her lap and like she got burnt and then she sued and she got like a few million dollars there and like everyone was just like, McDonald's pushed out that that case was frivolous and that like this was like oh what a what a crazy woman can you believe how much money she got and that's like your pop culture memory of that story when in real life she had third degree burns on 16% of her body yeah. and like right. and McDonald's to, was warned about it and like right yeah. it was just it was just a smear campaign and you're right it was the same thing here it was just do that shit to this day so like they just kind of got they started it first but like, right they, yeah. the only thing that changed is companies got better at their lives that was it that was what surprised me so much it was i just when i read about the case i thought what is your strategy here who are you trying to buy goodwill with with we shouldn't have to pay for dead kids it was who do you think you're going to win over with this argument and that was it i just couldn't believe how bad they were at this uh and to the point where they do eventually lose so i have a quote here um, from an engineering professor in Illinois who was one of the people that kind of went back and looked at the event from a, like, chemistry and physics perspective. So this is Mark Rousseau. He said of the explosion, most of the things I've looked at don't really have so much to do with a lack of scientific knowledge so much as a lack of responsibility of the people in charge. He said it's an ethical issue rather than an understanding of science. So what we know now is that quote is only 
Partly true because it was definitely a lack of responsibility, but we also know that it was also kind of a misunderstanding of science because there was not <laughs> there was not a civil engineer or architect to be found. So, Which was like, it was so easy to do to just hire a, someone who knew what yeah. they were talking about. Like, it I, was I'm so sure easy. when they were just like, let's put the head of the treasury department in, on, <laughs> on this, they weren't just like, you do it. They were like, you hire somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's it's got to be like that bad guy at work who who's like, no, did you not understand that I meant tell someone who has the expertise? Like, no, I thought I could do open heart surgery. You told me. <laughs> yeah. I figured I'd figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and it's also this isn't like we aren't in a prim primitive enough time where this is like a feat. Like there are lots of distilleries and buildings like this around. He just had to like ask someone right. and like potentially spend the like thirty five dollars or whatever it was back then to like hire. Like one engineer. <laughs> right. I mean, this is the mecca for making rum. Yeah. Like you can go to any corner and they can tell you how to do this. This is all they do here at this time. So this is absolutely insane. They, they uh, lose the lawsuit, yeah, thankfully. They have to pay out $628,000 in damages, which is $9.26 million adjusted for inflation. Relatives of those killed received around $7,000 per victim, $103,000 day. One thing that I found that was, I wish, surprising, but it wasn't. It was just horrifying was that the amounts given to families of those that died varied based on the perceived level of suffering of those that mm. died. Like Jesus. you got less. If your if your relative died quickly, you received less. Jesus. It How was, did they even know? <laughs> it was but I mean they have people that specialize in this now. They have people whose job it is to find out someone's value based on on how they lived and how horribly they die. God, uh, at this I time love, I assume I they just had our, a guy guess. I love the system. I love the system we have made in this country. <laughs> well, but it, it did change from this. They changed safety standards of construction because of this. At yeah. this point, they didn't have to get it regulated the same way because it it was a containment structure. It wasn't a building. Buildings were more regulated. One thing that I read changed after this was engineering certification laws were adopted by all states, which means up until this point, there weren't <laughs> engineering certification laws. You could just go out and say you were an engineer and people were like, cool, build me something that could kill people. And you could be like, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> that was I'm going to need 2 million tons of molasses. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this absolutely horrifying story. And uh, that, yeah, if you go to Boston now on a hot day, people are going to tell you you can smell molasses. Yeah. <laughs> that That's about it for now. <laughs> but either way, it was absolutely horrific and something that, that did need to happen. As Gina said, very much like Titanic, where it was just all these little things. If at any point anyone looked up and said, hey, this seems like something worth fixing, it could have been fixed. Uh, but it was expensive. <laughs> and they had to get that rum out there quick. Yeah. As far as like law is concerned, this is like the first big like corporate negligence payout. And it is. also yes. the first failed use of the the Italians did it defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say between like the like corporate corruption and cover up attempts and like trying to pin it on ethnic groups. It's almost surprising that they did lose the case, just like knowing what we know about America. It's like, man, they had all the ingredients. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so they, they did lose. Victims did get um, compensated. And I don't I don't like to say a silver lining when like something's been this horrific. But it um, not only did a lot of laws go into effect about like um, engineering permits um, and requirements for having uh, certain staff and architects online um, are on a project. 
But um, it set a precedent for future cases for um, the essentially the concept of corporate liability and that they've got more liability because they are because they are these conglomerates that goods and services are, are like produced from and employers. So it was kind of um, we don't know the exact ramifications, but we know that at least it didn't go the opposite way. <laughs> it was so like, what, what no I love one about could this... do anything to corporations. Like, yeah, there, there was like a nice Italian family that ended up in jail. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what what I do love about this was that um, I asked Gina beforehand, I said, hey, you know, we've got to do an in their defense section. You get first dibs, our guest always does. Do you want to do it? And uh, she said no, and then took the only defendable thing was that eventually something good came out of it. Yeah, yeah you basically so, already did in their defense and, and now I've got to do it. it, by the way. <laughs> knocked it out of the park. But yeah, now like I've, the, do the I still treasure, have to do it then? The treasurer that like made all this happen goes on the stand and was like, look, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that America really had to change direction when it came to like corporate liability law. <laughs> <laughs> it was for the good of the whole, really. <laughs> Wait, so are we counting that, or do I still have to do this one? You know, no, you still have to do this you, one because he didn't yeah, do that. Do I still have to do with you one? Can't use, you can't use that they changed permit laws. Go. That was my complaint. This was going to be. This was the entirety of my defense, okay, and now well, it's gone. All it right, out. here, <laughs> fine. Here is in their defense. Have you been to Boston? Imagine <laughs> going to Boston and telling them you can't have alcohol because we can't make it fast enough. <laughs> And how do you think that's going to end for you? <laughs> Look, I'm not saying this was handled responsibly. This was a horrific thing that never should have happened. But I could imagine them not doing it and Boston being pretty pissed and saying, like, just put it in that big tank over there. It'll be fine. <laughs> this was not well thought out. There were better <laughs> solutions. But it's not inconsistent. All right. <laughs> this is none of this. This was surprising because... It was a flood of molasses. It wasn't surprising because this was outside of the, the spectrum of what people were doing. This is what everyone was doing. I mean, not the molasses companies. They realized this was going to cost them too much money at the end. They thought through this through a little bit. But again, this was we've used this example in other, on another podcast. This was the time period where if you had a cough, you did heroin about it. Yeah. It was <laughs> this was the solution you had at the time. They wanted to get stuff done. And also they were all, you know, terrible people. They were terrible people that wanted money. Yeah. <laughs> this shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have done it. But it's like, I'm, I'm not surprised that they did it. In their defense is that like, yeah, they did it and I'm not surprised by it. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a terrible one, but it's all we got. No, no, I respect it. I respect it. I also like how you're in defense. I thought you were going on the thing of just like, look, it's, I thought you were starting off with, Look, it's good Boston got destroyed. <laughs> no, that's... Like, have you been I mean, to Boston? And I was like, oh, we're going anti-Boston on this? Yeah, <laughs> fuck the Celtics. I'm down. No, I mean, I can be sarcastic about it. I can't be like, <laughs> people are just doing a list to this. I have Look, to be able to I hate the Matrix. I, help, I hate the Celtics. <laughs> Let, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's fucking do what party. we gotta do. I'm glad it's... your town was covered in jam. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we're... Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that seems like a perfect ending. I can't imagine we can top that. I want that to be our sign on and sign off <laughs> sound from now on. I'm glad, I'm glad, you're, I'm glad your town is awesome. covered in jam. This is good. <laughs> Here's where it went wrong. People from Boston oh. are going to see like their the name in the title and be like, oh my God, they're going to talk about my city. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, gonna be God, like, oh, gonna be I can't so... wait to listen to this. A man's fun, and I'm just here like, fuck the Celtics. <laughs> fuck this the is the Pats. second worst surprise that Boston's gonna get out of this podcast. <laughs> Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are covered in molasses. Yeah. <laughs> They're basically oh. the kings of that town. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is perfect and so incredibly accurate and just just horrible. Uh, <laughs> and then 20 years it. later, they had to watch one of the largest movies in American history. Talk about how slow it was, <laughs> specifically in January. Yeah, can you imagine going to a dark theater, putting down your nickel, which is what tickets cost, <laughs> and like like sitting there for like a four-hour movie where one of the most iconic lines is just like, hey, remember how your grandma died? <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, oh, God, I'm fi- like, so glad I'm finally getting over that horrific trauma. Yeah. I can finally go to a movie theater to relax. That guy just got out of the asylum when he went, <laughs> he went to the movies. <laughs> God. All right. So our next episode is going to be where it went wrong with Gone with the Wind. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot to cover there. There's a lot to cover in that movie. This is honestly so far from the worst that Gone with the Wind did. That movie is like, so I'm from, I'm from Tennessee and like we have like a, in Memphis, there's like a old, like, like old, old movie theater, like an original movie theater that now they do like Broadway shows on kind of thing. Uh, but like they now, like every now and then they'll pull down the screen and they'll do showings of Gone with the Wind <laughs> where every grandmother within three states <laughs> fill up that auditorium and they'll sit there for five hours just watching the most racist, okay oh, movie. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 races yeah that's a, that's a solid description we're going after everybody today nobody is safe gone with the wind boston it's just all yeah. over the place <laughs> well i i would say that covers it when you got anything else no, who, no, who no, else no. can I we mean, hit on this once one? again fuck the celtics i mean i but, mean sure we're... <laughs> that, go grizzlies fuck the celtics but other than that I, I i'm all covered on my end and gina i feel like you are the best prepared guest we have ever had here yeah, gina, thank you so much you. for that <laughs> Like, there are so many times where it's just, like, me and Andrew kind of, like, going forth, and it's just like, this was your topic, man. <laughs> I, so, in doing research for this, I had, like, I had heard of it, like, barely, but doing the research, I just kept going, because it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my right. God. <laughs> it was one of those where it's like, how are we not talking about this more? Yeah. This should be a thing. The this Italians? should be a movie. <laughs> I'm gonna like look more into this like Italian anarchist thing. Like piece together some family history. That was absolutely the best part. Was that just this general like the Italians? I guess yeah. it was like, you didn't want to prepare for this dude. You didn't want. You knew you were going on the stand. You don't want to look something up, come up with a name. You yeah. can make up an anarchist group. They weren't going to check this. You Just could have said the words. mob. <laughs> you that had also meant Italians. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that that will do it for this episode of Here's What Went Wrong. Started out wonderfully with rum, ended so horrifically with the Boston molasses flood. Thank you so much, Gina DiVittorio, for, for coming on. We are very much looking forward to the world reopening just so we can see more cheap dates from you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> and uh, we will be back again next week. Uh, if you guys enjoy this, please uh, subscribe. Give it five stars. It helps us out so much. And yeah, we will see you again next week. Bye, Wen. See you next week. Bye.